0: You want to read and I, and I hope you have gotten, um, a copy of, of the catechism, um, on, on your phone. I have it actually up right here. This is founders, founders ministry. Yeah, you can't see it, but it's founders ministry. Um, <clears throat> and they have our catechism online. So if you don't have a catechism, I highly suggest that you get a catechism just so you can follow along when we read it <clears throat> and also in the evenings when we go through it. But uh, I believe we're in question eighteen of uh our catechism and yeah we just we just uh sent a message I think that was um Scott Scott just sent a message to everyone if you look if you look down on uh, the bottom of your phone or wherever you're- t- you're looking at me from you'll see a little red a real red dot um if you push that um you'll you'll find um that uh, the catechism has just been uploaded and the link is there. So question 18 says this, what was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? What was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? Answer, the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was eating from the forbidden fruit. So it's really getting at the reason or the why of how uh, they fell into this uh, this state of sin. And it was because uh, Adam and Eve uh, ate from the tree in which they were not supposed to eat from. And we see this. Um, the, the the great result of Adam and Eve and their sin um, is found in the fourth commandment, uh, the fourth commandment. It says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Adam was to work and labor for six days, and he was to model his creator and his maker by resting on Sabbath day. And we see that in Adam, the great promise that he was offered, if he completed his probationary period, he, if he passed his probationary period and passed the and fulfilled the covenant works, um, <clears throat> if he followed God's law with all of his heart and loved him with all of his strength, uh, then Adam would have been rewarded with not just um, a day, but an a an estate whereby he would become immutable. He would enter into the creator's Sabbath rest where he would no longer have to work. Um, But we see that when Adam ate of the forbidden tree, that he forfeited that entrance into that estate, that heightened communion bond in which uh, we will see God in the beatific vision in an immutable way. or We will never be changed. But Adam forfeited that. He did not enter into the Creator's Sabbath rest. Thereby, we and Adam cannot enter into that Sabbath rest. We cannot enter into that estate where it is most joyful and bliss because of Adam's sin. And we want to uh, now pray and remind ourselves of the great sin that Adam committed and the great uh, error and folly um, it is for us to think. Uh, that we, in and of ourselves, uh, could enter into the rest that God promised to us uh, when that rest is only found uh, by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Father, we ask that you forgive us in Adam. That you forgive us for going our own way. That you forgive us for not following the path that you were created us to walk uh, walk along. Lord, when Adam ate of the forbidden tree, we ask or we pray that you, uh, forgive us for eating of that forbidden tree. That you forgive us in Adam for desiring to be like you. That you forgive us for, uh, not wanting to go, uh, Along the ways that you allowed us and, and called for us to go, but we wanted to enter into that Sabbath rest upon our own strength, upon our own merits, rather than receiving it in the manner that you have uh, uh, ordained for us to receive it. Forgive us, Father. Now, those who are unbelievers walk along this 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 road in this earth with no rest. They will continue to work for their salvation, but they will never find peace. They will never find an end. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us for forfeiting the the, the most happiest state in which one could ever enter. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we see that Adam uh, forfeited. That a state in which he would have entered into that condition, uh, the highest condition of man, uh, which is the Creator's Sabbath rest. And we see that one of the things that Christ does for us in His life is that He lives a life for us in such a way that He undoes what Adam did in the garden. Adam did not follow God's law. And Adam in the garden broke the fourth commandment. But we see that Christ, as he lives, he did not break the fourth commandment, but rather he exalted it and he, he, he restored the true essence of the fourth commandment. But we also see more so that Christ, by his perfect life and death, when he rises from the dead, Not only is the father vindicating his son before the world, but also it's showing us that Christ has entered into that greater Sabbath rest that Adam fell to enter into. I just want to read a portion of scripture for us. And we find that in uh, Matthew chapter 28, it says this. It's speaking of the resurrection. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. When Christ rises from the dead, as I said, it shows, because he is the first fruits, that he has entered into that rest that was promised to Adam. And what that means is we don't need to earn our salvation, we don't need to work for our salvation. But rather, we need to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, and if you live a life of holiness, if you live a life of daily repentance, bearing fruit not to earn your salvation, but to testify of your salvation, the great promise for all of us is that we will enter physically, we will enter into that eternal Sabbath rest. Imagine, friends, a Sunday Where, well, there will never be a Monday to look forward to. There will never be a Tuesday or a Wednesday to look forward to, but but Sunday will last forever. And not merely where we just lay around and do nothing, but we are in the presence of the Lord. We are beholding the face of Jesus Christ. And with the mind, uh, we're able to know all things concerning the Lord, which is the beatific vision. So we want to thank our Christ for entering into that condition of man, that highest condition of man that one could enter into. And that we, if we strive, we will enter into that Sabbath rest, as Hebrews 4 tells us. So let's pray and thank the Father for sending his son to live and die, but also vindicating his son in the resurrection and showing that he has entered into that Sabbath rest that we have entered into via Jesus Christ, and one day we will physically enter into at the consummation of all things. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to redeem those who are in the flesh. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for living for us, undoing the curse of Adam, living and obeying the law in a manner that is most pleasing to the Father. Thank you for dying a perfect sacrificial death, an act of worship, a pleasing aroma to the Father, For all of our sin laid upon you and the best about you laid upon us, that you give to us that righteous and glorious robe in which now we wear, that we are redeemed in Christ. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the redemption of Jesus Christ to our lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for taking what is Christ and giving it to us. And we pray that we will enter into that Sabbath rest. Let us strive to be holy, to be to be humble in this life. To pull off the, pull, take off the deeds of the flesh and, and desire to live righteously to Jesus Christ. Thank you Christ for entering into that estate in which we long for. We, we so desperately long to, to be with you. To be in that immutable glorious state. And we know that it will happen. We know that we will reach that estate because you have entered into that estate for us first as you told your disciples, you are preparing that place for us now. We pray, Father, that you give us peace during this time, that you will help us and remind us of that future glorious day in which we await. Christ, name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and welcome you once again on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we our gathering and meeting via Cisco WebEx. Last week we began a series on the means of grace where we briefly touched on each of the specified means that God has promised to bless when we corporately gather in his name. This morning, with God's help, we will elaborate on the first of the specified means of grace, and that is the ministry of the word. Let us turn now to First Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. First <clears throat> Peter 1 and verse 22. I'll give you just a, a minute to, to turn there. First Peter 1, 22, and we will read to chapter 2 and verse 3. This is God's word. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of a Lord. Brothers and sisters, would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of your Holy Spirit. And we do pray that this morning, as we consider the ministry of the Word as a means of grace, that our minds would be illumined, that our hearts would believe, And that our feet, Lord, would be swift to act. We pray that you would give listening to our ears, Lord, and that you would give us grace as we seek to comprehend and to apprehend, Lord, that which you have for us this morning. Lord, I decrease that you may increase, become glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I wonder if you have ever heard of this statement. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. That is, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. This statement was penned by Heinrich Bullinger in 1562, and it became one of the many statements of faith that arose out of the Reformation. There were many questions that arose during that time, as the grip of the false gospel of the Roman Catholic Church was being loosed by the gospel of grace, questions like, why preaching? What is the purpose of the ministry of the word? What happens when the word of God is unfolded for the people of God? What should the church's placement and disposition be when God's word is being preached? How important is the preaching of God's word in the life of the body of Christ? How is it to be taught, to be proclaimed? These questions were coming from a generation that were holding church services where God's word, or at least what was supposed to be God's word, was being taught in an unintelligible language. The sermons that they most often heard on a regular basis were being taught in Latin, a language that is a dead language. No one speaks Latin anymore. But these were not the first times that questions such as these were being grappled with. They were the very questions that the Apostle Peter was addressing in his first letter to the believers who had been dispersed throughout Asia Minor. And they are the questions that we are considering this morning in this morning's lesson. This morning, I would like to consider with you, with God's help, three points concerning the ministry of the word as a means of grace. Therefore, let us consider our first point. The word is a means of conversion And a means of grace. The word is a means of conversion and a means of grace. In verse 22, the Apostle Peter is picking up on this long discussion regarding the Christian's salvation. And he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, Peter is writing about obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is synonymous with, or the same as, conversion or being saved. Dear one, if you are a believer, when you received Christ by faith, you obeyed the message of the gospel that was proclaimed to you. That message declares that we are sinners that we have no hope of eternal salvation in and of our own deeds. But through Christ, through his gospel, proclaims to you a message that we must repent of our sins and rest wholeheartedly in the perfect life and atoning death and glorious resurrection of Christ in our place. When you obey, as Peter says, meaning when you receive by faith alone, what Christ has done, then you will be saved. In 1 Peter one twenty-two, salvation is, is pictured as obedience to the truth. In verse 23, it's pictured as being born again. The two are connected. and they, These are two ways of referring to the same reality. Being saved and obeying the message of the gospel. Consider verse 23. Having been born again, Peter says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. Through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Brothers and sisters, would you notice how these scriptures have been constructed for the scriptures say having been born again through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Notice the means of being born again. What's the channel that God uses to regenerate someone? Well the apostle Peter says it is the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ says to Nicodemus, as my brother Ralph and I were speaking, as many of you were, were signing in, that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing the work by the means or channel or avenue or way, all the synonymous words, of the ministry of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God as the means to regenerate and renew a person to salvation. That should not come as a surprise to us. You know well the scripture in Romans. Romans chapter 10, which we read last week. And verse 14. And God's word reads, How then, Romans ten fourteen 14 through 17, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? and how will they hear without a preacher how will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news or good good uh, bring good news of good things however they did not all heed the good news for isaiah says lord who has believed i report so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of christ we see here In this passage, that the ministry of God's word is a means, it's again that channel, it's an avenue that God uses to convert. Christ has ordained that his church, until he returns, preach his word. No matter what the circumstances may be, that those who belong to him preach his word, that those who belong to him hear and receive his word. Until Christ returns, the word of God will remain. And even after, the word of the Lord remains forever. And it is through the preaching of that word, the Spirit of God converts sinners. Our confession says as much in chapter 14, paragraph 1 of our confession. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is number one, the work of the Spirit of Christ in their heart. And how is that brought about? Our confession says, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed by God, it is increased and strengthened. You have just heard that conversion comes by the Spirit of Christ and the ordinary way in which Christ converts The way that God has promised to bless in order to convert is through the ministry of the word. You may have asked, and it's a very good question, why are these means called ordinary? You may have asked that question, and it is a fair question to ask. These means are not ordinary in the sense that they lack power, not in the least, but rather they are The ordinary means that God, listen to this, particularly or on a regular basis, ordinarily promises to bless. That is, they are the particular specified means of grace. And they are those means that we regularly or ordinarily attend to that God has promised to bless. They are not ordinary in that they are regular or common or that they lack power but they are regular or ordinary in the sense that they are the things that we ordinarily attend to and that God has promised to particularly bless the ordinary means of grace that the Lord uses in drawing a person unto salvation is the preaching of the word that is empowered by the holy spirit of god the spirit of god is at work through the means of the word of God as it is rightly preached and rightly proclaimed. Therefore parents, when God's word is being preached, you should call your children to attention. If you are desiring for them to be converted, when God's word is being preached, that is the time for them to listen, to pay close attention to, unless you only believe that only adults can be saved. No, brothers and sisters, we believe that The Spirit of God works through the ministry of the Word of God, and it converts the hearts of those who belong to him, regardless of the age. So call your children to attention. Brothers and sisters, call yourself to attention when the Word of God is being preached. It converts sinners. The preaching of the Word is not only used as a means to convert, but also as a means of grace, a continual means of grace in the life of the believer to to strengthen them, to build them up in the faith. Consider uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire pure milk of the word, the pure milk of the word. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Uh, many of us in our church, we have little ones. And we understand uh their temperaments, when they are hungry. Now, their hunger for milk, it also is producing not just a satisfaction of their hunger, it's also producing a growth in them. They are growing as they are being fed. On the, on the one hand, the ministry of the Word through the Spirit is what converts us. But on the other hand, we are told that we are desired to desire the pure milk of the Word. Why? So that we can grow. I pray that you see that. The ministry of the word of God is not just for unbelieving sinners who need to trust in Christ. But the ministry of the word of God is a continued necessity for our growth into maturation and to be those whom Christ has called and created us to be. As believers, we need God's word in order to grow. Dear ones, the... Word of God is a means of conversion and an ongoing means of grace as we grow and mature in Christ. Christ has accomplished everything necessary for salvation. He has sent his spirit to convert the elect and to nourish them until we are where he is. And all of this is a work of the Holy Spirit and it is a work of grace. Brothers and sisters, have you feasted and and, uh, been satisfied by the word of God this past week? Have you fed yourself God's word? Have you opened up the holy scriptures, which are a means to convert and a means to help you grow in your faith? Have you opened the scriptures and have you feasted upon God's word? Brothers and sisters, the word of God is a means of grace. The merit of Christ and his accomplishments are the grace conveyed by the ordinary means. And the believers are nourished in this grace by the ministry of the word. Let's go to our second point now. The ministry or the word faithfully preached is Christ speaking to his people. I'm going to say that again. The word faithfully preached. Is Christ speaking to his people? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Brothers and sisters, here and all throughout the scriptures for that matter, The word of God is pictured as alive or being uh, or being living. The word of God is living. You're familiar with the text of Hebrews chapter four and verse 12. The word of God is living. And powerful. Sharper than any two edged sword. The word of God is alive. Word of God is not dead. And never will it be. The apostle says that this word is not perishable, but imperishable. It's it's uh, incapable of being destroyed. It is incapable of death. The apostle Peter is pointing back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and he's relating or comparing and contrasting the word of God to, listen, everything else that God has created. He says in 1 Peter 124, All flesh, you and I, we're like grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. And then he says, the grass withers and its flower falls. Again, he's contrasting, as the prophet Isaiah did, human flesh and the word of God. All flesh, all humanity is like grass. Brothers and sisters, little ones as well we will fade and we will wither away like the grass. Regardless of how uh, strong one may be, irregardless of uh, how beautiful one may be, we are all fading like grass and like flowers. We will all eventually pass away along with the flower and along with the grass. Here's the contrast. But the word of God, Oh, the word of God will remain forever. What does the, the pastor do each Lord's Day when he opens God's word? Is he only delivering facts about God? Are we a people that we who must only know facts about God, who must only know concepts or definitions about God? Peter seems to indicate that there is more for the believer. While proclaiming truths and, and stating facts are certainly part of what it means to minister the word of God, there's also more than that. It is a literal means through which Christ, listen to this, speaks to his people and builds them up in faith. I wonder if you've heard that even in our church, that when the word of God is faithfully preached, it is though Christ himself were speaking to you. Now, we've said that many times in our church, but I don't know if we've ever actually given you a biblical defense of why that is so or how that is so. So, very briefly, we'd like to consider how that is so. Let's turn to a few texts in order to at least build for right now the foundation of an argument that when the word of God is faithfully preached, it is though Christ himself were speaking. Look at Uh, John chapter 10, John chapter 10, John chapter 10 and verse 16, John 10 and verse 16, here our Lord says, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also must I bring. Listen to what he says. And they will hear my voice. And there will, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. Again, the Lord says in speaking to those who were present with him, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, who are not here now. Them also must I bring. And then he says, And they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock with one shepherd. The Lord was speaking predominantly about the Gentiles, and he says again, they will hear my voice. Isn't that interesting? The Lord is speaking of a people that will be brought into his flock, and yet they are not present during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, to hear his voice. But Christ promises that they they will ultimately hear his voice. How? Let's build this argument. Let's go to Acts chapter 26. In the book of Acts, Luke is giving an account of Paul before King Agrippa. Acts 26 and verse 19. Acts 26 and verse 19. The word of God reads, and we'll read to verse 23. So, King Agrippa, and he is uh, calling essentially King Agrippa to come to faith in Christ. The the boldness of the Apostle Paul, imagine the boldness of the Apostle Paul who, who asked the church, pray that the Lord would give me boldness. He's speaking before the very king and says, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring bold to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating that nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Listen to verse 23. That Christ was going to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be, listen, the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Notice again verse 23. The apostle says that Christ, Christ would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentile people. Now hold on to that thought. Go to Ephesians. This will be the last scripture. Go to Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians chapter two, the apostle is writing to the church of Ephesus. They were two people. Paul just said that Christ uh, was speaking and bringing light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And now they've been brought together. The wall that one, at one time divided them has been torn down by the gospel and Paul writes that salvation comes to us by grace through faith and not works well let's go to ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 to 17 verse 13 to 17 ephesians 2 13 through 17 the word of god reads but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that's Jew and Gentile, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing his flesh, or abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might Make two into one man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. Now listen to verse 17. And he came and preached peace. Do you see that? He came. Paul is speaking about Christ. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. That's the Gentiles. That's the The flock that Christ said was not there, but would be drawn near to those who are near. Isn't that interesting again? We must ask ourselves this question. When did this happen? When did Christ go to the Gentiles and bring to them the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? When? Well, Are we to be, to believe like the Mormons, who believe that Jesus actually physically came to different parts of the Americas even, and proclaimed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? No, of course not. So then when did Jesus literally come and preach to the Gentiles, to the Gentile Ephesians? Here's the answer. Literally, physically, never. The Lord Jesus never went in the flesh, to preach to the to the Ephesians during his earthly ministry or to the Gentiles. The resurrection happened long before most of the Ephesians had ever heard of the message of Christ. So then when did the Ephesians hear the word of Christ or hear his voice? Recall what the Lord says in John 10:16. Recall what, what Paul says in Acts 26 that Christ preached light to the Gentiles, and again in Ephesians that Christ came and preached to the Ephesians. The scriptures are teaching that when the message of Christ is faithfully proclaimed, listen, it is Christ himself who is proclaiming that message to you. Today, when we gather corporately and worship together, when the message of Christ is accurately preached, Christ is preaching to his people. You've heard that when Christ and the message or when the message of Christ is actually or accurately being preached. It is though Christ himself were speaking to you. Dear ones, as the preacher faithfully proclaims the word of God. Christ speaks through the spirit to bring conversion to his people and to help his sheep grow. Something happens. When the word of God is preached faithfully and accurately. And what is that? Well, consider our our catechism. Question 94. How is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer. The spirit of God makes the reading. Listen to this. But especially the preaching of the word. An effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. And building them up in holiness. And comfort through faith unto salvation. When we preach faithfully Christ, Christ is speaking to his people. Now let us be clear. God does the work. It is God. But the means, the, the avenue and the, the way that God ministers his word is through the preached word or uh, works is through the preached word and his spirit. We, when we accurately preach Christ, Christ is preaching. Or to say, as we said at the outset of this lesson, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. As Paul said to the Ephesians, he, Christ, came and preached to you, preached peace to you, meaning that they, when they heard the word of God, as they heard the word of God, Christ himself was speaking through that word to convert and to strengthen his people. So when Christ says in John 10:16, my sheep hear my voice. He's not referring to some kind of mystical experience where we think we're hearing his voice. He's not referring to some kind of mystical experience where we're, we're, we're telling everyone in the room to, to, to be quiet so that we can listen to an audible voice of God. Or, as we've so often heard, waiting for that still, small voice. What Christ is saying is that the word the Spirit has given through the the prophets, through the apostles, is his final revelation. And as it goes forward, he will be preaching. He will be converting. He will be feeding. He will be nurturing people until we see him and are with him face to face. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. I believe it's important to say that we do not mean, and I do not mean to say that the preacher, that I myself am anything in and of myself. or That I or any preacher uh, somehow is channeling new revelation from God that needs to be added to the scriptures. Let me emphatically say not in the least. We all are but men being used by God. We are are all but mouthpieces that are being used by God to communicate his message. In and of ourselves, we have nothing to say. But being used by Christ and faithfully preaching his word, then we should take heed for Christ himself is speaking. When the preacher stands in the pulpit and preaches preaches the scriptures, listen to this how I say this having faithfully studied God's word as he preaches. Because he's faithfully studied properly interpreting the text, properly exegeting the text, and faithfully, unashamedly, boldly proclaiming God's word. That message that he proclaims is the word of God to God's people. I hope you took note of all of the important factors that I was uh, numbering To finally and ultimately say that word of God is the word of God faithfully proclaimed to God's people. Those things must be present in order for what is being preached to be considered the word of God. I say that because there are many false churches and many false preachers that though they are so-called preaching God's word. And there may be at times that what they are saying has morsels of truth in it. They are not preaching the full counsel of God's word. So don't be deceived into thinking that anything that you hear that falls into the context or category of preaching is equal. Not all preaching is equal. But when God's word is rightfully proclaimed, Christ is speaking to his people, which is why we call it the word of Christ. Dear ones, this is why When we come and sit under the word of God as it is preached, listen, we must be fully attentive. Our attention must be fully and completely on God's word as it is being proclaimed. We must do our best to eliminate all distractions from Christ who is speaking to us, who is converting and building up his sheep as the word of God is going forward. Listen, we must not, listen to this, imagine or pretend that Christ was speaking to the church. Not at all. We must realize that Christ is speaking to the church when his word is faithfully preached. And if Christ is speaking to his church, then we must be all ears. We must not slouch or lean back. We must not be distracted by our phones. We must not even, listen to how this is going to sound, we must not even be distracted by reading God's word while God's word is being proclaimed to us. It's always amazed me in all of the years that as I've been a minister that that some people will, will take the time to actually tune out of the message that Christ is delivering to his people via the minister and just find a text to read while the minister is ministering. If you were to be faithful to the word that you were reading, then you would know that in that word, God is calling you to listen to that preacher. Because he is proclaiming to you that which you need for your soul at that particular moment. Pastor Isaiah gave me a good example this past week when I was talking to him briefly about uh, this lesson for this morning. And, and he he brought to my attention our laser focus. Listen to when. When. We are laser focused when we are in a movie theater. Listen to that. When we are in a movie theater, our attention. For most of us, I admit I love to fall asleep in the movie theaters. Uh, but for most of us, my son is laughing because he often looks over at me and notices that I am out. I am like what? For most of us, when the word of God is preached, we need to have that same kind of laser focus that we have when we're in a movie theater. Think about the things that we do when we go to a a theater. Most of us, if we're wise, we get there a few minutes early so that we can buy our popcorn. Uh, We get there a few minutes early so that we can buy our hot dogs and our candy and our drinks. If you're like me, I don't like, sometimes I like the, the previews more than the movies, But if you're like me, you want to get there early so that I don't miss the previews. Most of us, if we're wise, we go to the bathroom before the show too, don't we? Why do we do that? So that we don't miss one moment of that picture. So that we can capture every single thing that happens during that movie. And don't you hate the person who goes to the movie theater with you and uh, maybe steps out, and as they step out, they want to ask you, what did I miss? What happened? And the person who has to tell you what you missed is giving you the most brief explanation of what you missed so that they don't miss anything else. I love my dear son, Nazareth. And while he's right here in front of me, I, I have to say, one of my, my pet peeves is when we are watching a movie theater and when he While we're watching this movie, leans over to me and says, "Dad,
0: I gotta go to the bathroom."
1: I'm sure you've all experienced that, and my most common response to him is this:
0: "Can you hold it?"
1: Why? Because I don't. Unless I unless I fall asleep, I don't want to miss the movie, my dear ones. Is that our approach when we come to God's word? When we come to the means of grace, each time that we gather under the blessing of the ministry of the Word of God, as Christ, as we've just uh, as we've just proved, I think from the scriptures, or at least at a foundation for, as Christ is speaking to us, do we have that kind of laser focus, or are we perfectly content? to be so distracted by a variety of things so that the time goes by much faster. I do urge you, with all that I can, as both a pastor and as one of the sheep who sits under the ministry of the Word of God myself, I urge you to consider the blessing of the preaching of God's Word And just strive to eliminate all distractions to hearing the word of Christ proclaimed to you. Let's return to First Peter and see what he says in verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this word which by the gospel, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The message, this message is the message of the gospel, but it's more than that. All scripture is really and ultimately the message of Christ. In the same context, Peter says desire the pure milk of the word. The word is the saving work of Christ, the covenantal work of Christ, the glory of God among the nations, the singular message from Genesis to Revelation. And what is that singular message? It's the work of Christ. It's Christ and his work. You will remember the account of Luke 24, when Christ began to walk with uh, two disciples on their way uh, to Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. The Lord Jesus Christ happens upon these two disciples who are downtrodden. And they are downtrodden because Christ had been crucified, and they are saying to this traveler who they did not realize is Christ, they are saying to him, we thought this would be the one, but he's dead. The Lord rebukes them. Don't you understand the scriptures at all? Don't you understand the message of the scriptures at all? The Bible says in Luke 24, 27, and beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all of the scriptures concerning himself. Imagine that. The Lord Jesus Christ gives a biblical theology <laughs> from Genesis to Revelation of himself and of his work. And he's saying to these two disciples who will eventually become aware of the fact that it is the Lord, that everything that you've read and everything that has transpired is happening exactly the way God has ordained it to happen. The Lord Jesus taught these disciples what Moses and all the prophets taught. That everything was all about him from Genesis to Revelation. We must not read the scriptures and think that Christ, Christ doesn't appear to the New Testament. No, the overarching theme of the scriptures is Christ. He ties Genesis to Revelation, he makes the Scriptures complete. A faithful preacher, once again, is simply a mouthpiece through which God speaks and proclaims that message of Christ from Genesis, which we are renowned, to Revelation, which we will be, Lord willing, when we gather again together in this in the winter. Something happens when the word is faithfully preached. It is a means of conversion. It is the means of grace. And as and when it is faithfully preached, it is though Christ, no, it is Christ himself speaking to his people. And lastly, and shortly, um, more short than the past two points, third point, the word is the centerpiece of the ministry of the church. The word is the centerpiece. Cornerstone, if you will, the main focus of the ministry of the church. First Peter 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There is a clear reference to the word of God. It is the means through which the Spirit brings about the new birth. And it is the food that feeds the people of God on their journey home. I love the imagery of that. We are sojourning, aren't we? We are traveling. We are headed toward an eternal city, the new Jerusalem. And as we are traveling in that direction, the Word of God is feeding us on our way home. It is sustaining us on our way home and helping us to grow. It's not just keeping us alive. It is doing that. And it is also helping us to grow, to be strengthened. And yet, the text commands, listen to this, that we are to desire God's word so that we may grow thereby. Just like a baby desires to eat, we must desire God's word. Notice that the focus is ultimately on what? Spiritual growth. The focus is not on what you and I may like or what tickles or scratches our ears. The focus is on ultimately what helps you and I to grow. Brothers and sisters, this is important. When we come to God's word, we have compared it or contrasted it to our desire to watch a movie. But I fall asleep sometimes because the movie that we're watching is not necessarily a movie I want to see. But well, we cannot take the same approach to God's word. Oh, I hear the message today, but it's not necessarily something that I want to hear
0: today, so I think I'll tune out.
1: No. If God's word is being faithfully proclaimed, if the minister is opening God's word and saying, thus saith the Lord, then we must Say, whatever the Lord is saying, we will obey. But this also requires not just an obedience, but again, as Peter says, a desire. Conversion assumes not just an interest in God's word, but a delight in God's word. A great love and joy for God's word. Do you hear that? Brothers and sisters, do you delight in God's word? Is it something that you long to hear? The old timers would say, do you delight in the things of God? You've heard that phrase before, haven't you? The things of God. What are the things of God? They are those things that God has commanded his people to belong to. And they are those things that God has uniquely set his people apart for. Those things of God are the ministry of his word. They are his church. They are his baptism, his supper, his prayer. They are all the things that God has prescribed us to do and to be. We are to delight in them, not just find interest in them. But delight in them above all things. Conversion. Salvation. Being born again. Regenerated. Going from darkness to light. They all assume an interest. And even more than that. A delight in the things of God. Ultimately. Salvation is. Tasting the goodness of God in our souls. And if you have tasted it. Then you will necessarily grow. What do the scriptures say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. We're not earning or accomplishing salvation. No, Christ has done that. Rather, truly saved people grow in their faith. The knowledge of Christ and the means of our growth in Him come from His Word. And therefore, the Word of God is the centerpiece of the ministry of the church. Nothing else is the centerpiece. The, and I'm going to speak not of our church, but of things that tend to trend on the centerpiece of the focus of a church. It is not a band. It is not a ministry to children per se. Uh, it's not an Awana group, should I say. Uh, it's not going to be a particular small group. It's not going to be the extracurricular, uh, Hobbies and activities the church does outside of the ministry of the word. It is the word. The word of God is the centerpiece of all that we do. By it we are converted and by it we grow. It is a means of grace. Dear ones, are you weary? Go to God's word. Are you discouraged? Go to God's word. Are you fearful? Go to God's word. Are you discontent? And let me say to you that even discontentment can become an idol to us. Or contentment can become an idol to us. So therefore when we are discontent, we somehow will often blame it on the church. No, dear one, go to his word. What does the psalmist say again? Psalm 38, taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember what the Paul, what Paul the Apostle commended the elders, the Church of Ephesus to. I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul commends the church to the word, not just to convert, but to build up. What's the place of preaching? The preaching of the word of God in true churches. The ministry of the word of God must be the centerpiece of the church because through it, through the word of Christ, we are converted by the spirit of Christ. And we are subsequently nourished by the words that we may grow and be built up. What do you tell others when they ask you about your church? When they say, what is the reason why you were there? Why that church? Why that small obscure church on the, on the east side of town, uh, among all of these different industrial buildings? Why that church? It's like a prison from the outside. <laughs> I pray that you would point to God's word, that you would say, because the word of God is preached there. The final pages of the Bible, we are given a glimpse of Christ standing among his churches and giving to them his word. It is the same Christ who stands in the churches today, leading them to himself and helping them to grow. And what we need today is what the church needed and has needed every hour of its existence. And that is the voice of the one who was described in the following manner. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Brothers and sisters, I long to see with my own eyes that Christ, the voice of Christ, who was on the verge of speaking to Paul or speaking to John the Revelator and to all the churches is speaking to us as well. Do you desire to hear his voice? And I urge you to long for the ministry of his word. Prepare your hearts now more than ever, even more than you would for a movie, to hear from Christ Grow in your faith thereby. I commend you to God and to his word. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your word. We thank you that by it we are converted, that by it we are built up in our faith. We thank you that when your word is accurately preached, and I pray that it was done so today, although in this most uh, unconventional manner, we pray that you, Lord, are speaking to us. Therefore, help the elders of this church and of all faithful churches to be ever so diligent in their studies, to be ever so careful when they are proclaiming your word. To be sure that it is Christ himself who is speaking to his people. And we thank you, Lord, that you are and will be the centerpiece, your word, of all that we do when we gather for worship. Dear Lord, dear Lord help us. Help us to desire the means of grace that is provided for us in your word. Help us long for it and to prepare our hearts As we are gearing up, Lord, to once again gather, pray that we would make all preparations so that we might uh, uh, eliminate all distractions, so that we might hear your word proclaimed in our ears. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me close now with our benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling, to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.